Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Today is the final round of the Masters, the greatest golf tournament in the world. Unbelievable pressure. Fantastic golfers. They can all hit the shots. It will come down to the ability to focus in on that shot at that particular moment and be able to pull it off. Focus. Pretty much everyone understands that it's the key to being successful at whatever you do. Professional ball players know the importance of focusing on the ball. Successful students focus on their studies. Those who work in dangerous situations know that staying focused can mean the difference between life and death. Well, what about followers of Jesus? Do we need focus? What I'm saying to us this morning as we get ready to open God's Word is there's a difference between seeing ourselves as a follower of Jesus and focusing on what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. The truth is, focus is just as important for followers of Jesus as anybody, even more so because our focus impacts our spiritual health. If you're a believer, stay focused on what matters. That's where all of this is going. In our series called Crossroads, we've spent the last several weeks looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And today, Pastor Clay is going to finish the chapter by showing us through everything that Paul has been talking about in this chapter that it all comes down to focus. Staying focused is the key to the successful Christian walk. Now let's get started. of thousands of people. If you've watched it on TV or if you've ever been there, tens of thousands, tens of thousands of people crowding around, oftentimes within arm's reach of the players. Uh, Television cameras bringing in many multitude, millions more watching every move you make. Millions of dollars on the line, if you're into that kind of thing. Millions of dollars on... Unbelievable pressure. I I can't even fathom the pressure. I can't, I can't make it from three feet when I'm playing with some of the guys in here and, and the, the winner loser has to buy a Coke. I can't even, can't even make it. Unbelievable pressure. I can't imagine that. Let me tell you what will make the difference, I believe, because all of them are fantastic golfers. If you're into golf at all, if you're not into golf at all, uh, stay with me. Uh, but, but all of them are fantastic. They really are. They're all at a level that's unbelievable and all this kind of stuff. Let me tell you what will make the difference. What will make the difference, what will come down to the end, the person who puts on that green jacket, which is tradition for the winner, puts on a master's green jacket and gets to hold, hoist the trophy that's a, a replica of the clubhouse. That, never mind, I could, I could go on. But anyway, when they get to do all of that, they get to do all that. What will make the difference, the person that does that this afternoon will be the person who has the greatest ability in that moment to focus. They can all hit the shots, I'm telling you, they can all hit the shots. It will come down to the ability to focus in on that shot at that particular moment and be able to pull it off. The ability to focus on the ball instead of just see the ball. Can I tell you all, that's something that that I am trying to learn myself as a novice golfer. Some of you, if you've been to my house, you know that my, my wife very graciously allowed me to put a driving net up in my house. In my house, I have a driving net. I know. She's amazing. It's in the sunroom. And, um, and, 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 and if you've been around me for more than five minutes in preaching, you know that I'm like, I'm like the king of alliteration, right? I love to 
make letters that match up or set words that match up and all that. I just like this. I just think it's a good memory device. I like it. Uh, so that bleeds over into pretty much everything I do in life. And so it's bled over into my golf uh, analysis and trying to get better. And so I've developed these, uh, what I call the, the, the F3 method uh, for, for me becoming a better golfer. These, these three uh, uh, F words, that doesn't sound nice, does it? <laughs> these three F words that I repeat, that I want to repeat each time when I'm driving into my net that my wife allows me to have in my sunroom in my house. And one of those words... I'm not giving you the other two. I'm not giving you the other two. One of the words is focus. And I'm learning, even I've been playing this game, I don't know, about 20 years now or so, but I'm learning that there's a difference between seeing the ball and focusing on the ball. And what I'm saying to us this morning as we get ready to open God's word is there's a difference between seeing ourselves as a follower of Jesus and focusing on what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. If you have a copy of God's Word with you today, you can open it at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That's right, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, the, fourth, the fourth week we've been in, in chapter 7 in our series Crossroads. We're making our way all the way through 1 and 2 Corinthians. And uh, if Jesus tarries, uh, we may get all the way through 1 and 2 Corinthians. But right now, today, Lord willing, we're finishing up chapter 7. And there is a whole bunch of stuff in chapter 7. If you've been here at all, would you agree there's a lot of stuff in chapter 7 that's like, what the world? Well, let me just go ahead and, and uh, prepare you. There's some more stuff in there that we're going to finish up with. You're going to say, what the world? Uh, that's some stuff in there. And, I, and I, can I just tell you, I love, I love to do what I get to do. I, I love to study God's Word and see what God reveals to me and see what other guys are thinking and, and then and get up here and try and communicate this truth to you. And some of this you'll think, well, this doesn't apply to me. Some of this you'll think, wow, this really applies to me. Uh, but God's Word has its effect at wherever we are, whatever station we are in life, right? So in 1 Corinthians 7, here's what we've looked at so far. And I encourage you, you can go to our website, you can go directly to our web- website, you can go directly uh, to the, the, down, the drop-down thing that'll show you a list of all the series that are available. And, of course, right at the top on the front page is our current series, Crossroads. You can find the current ones in 1 Corinthians 7. You can go back and listen to those. But so far in 1 Corinthians 7, here's some of the things we've covered. If you're married, stay sexually intimate as much as your spouse needs. Okay, I got, I got one that's right. I got one amen. I just, I, I'm really thinking that sooner or later y'all are going to catch on to this. And uh, there's going to be a lot more a- a- amen. If, okay, and the second... Uh, idea that we covered was if you're single, stay that way if you're able. And we talked about what that means. Today, that's going to come back up as we're drawing this thing to a close. Stay that way if you're able. Third, if you're married, stay married if your spouse is willing. That's something Paul talks about in there. You can go back and check that message out as well. And then fourth, and what we covered last week uh, also, if you're a believer, stay content where you are in life. Paul is moving this thing through chapter 7, singleness, marriage. Uh, he's moving this towards contentment, and now he's going to move it towards a culmination of the whole, wrapping the whole thing up in a, in a, in a big bow. But he says, if you're, if you're content, if you're, if you're believer, stay content where you are in life. And isn't that hard for us as believers? And, and just to say this, and then we'll go on. If you're thinking, well, yeah, nothing's ever supposed to change, go back and listen to that message. It doesn't mean that you can't want things to change or even ask for things to change or work towards things changing in the circumstance, a job, a relationship, something going on, all that kind of stuff. You can go back and listen to that message. But that's the overarching principle that Paul is talking about in there. So, y'all ready for the fifth and final one in 1 Corinthians 7 today? 
All right, here we go. Here it is. If you're a believer, stay focused on what matters. That, that's where we're really going with this thing. That's all of this stuff, relationships, everything that's coming up. Uh, that, that's where all of this is going. Now, I'm going to read the text as we go in just a moment. I'm going to break it down into five kind of bite-sized chunks and I'm going to read the text as we go. But as we're going, you're going to hear a lot of talk in here about virgins. And so, obviously, some lengthy discussion about virgins is probably going to need some explaining uh, in, in, um, in the course of, of this message today. Because what we're going to talk about, as far as culturally, what was going on there in the ancient world, and, and certainly going on in Corinth may not necessarily be culturally relevant or prevalent in our society or culture today. I've said that a couple different times in 1 Corinthians 7. What Paul talks about may not be a practice that you necessarily see in our culture today, but as I also said last, at least last week, maybe even before then, is that while the cultural custom or the cultural practice may change along the way and changes from culture to culture, what does not change is the overarching biblical principle that Paul is establishing in here. Okay? And the overall biblical principle you're going to find that he is establishing is that you and I need to stay fit, focused on what matters in life. Okay? Also, remember the context of the whole thing overall. The very first verse, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, that we looked at a few weeks ago. Now, concerning the things about which you wrote. So the Corinthians had written to Paul, and they had some questions. We may not know what all of those questions are, but we assume Paul addressed most of them in his letters. And we know that many of the questions had to do with with sexuality and about sexual activity. That clearly was some of the questions that they had. Part of that probably had to do with, with Corinth itself, and Corinth was a very uh, sexually pervasive uh, city. Um, but part of it had to do with what I talked about earlier uh, in, in walking through 1 Corinthians 7 and the influence of what was known as Gnosticism, this false teaching that was beginning to infiltrate the church and that was distorting the Word of God. And as I said, if you were here, you may remember this, I said that it, that it created this Gnostic idea, really kind of looked at the body, the physical body, as, as bad, as corrupt, as unredeemable. And so it created two streams of thought. Y'all with me? It created two streams of thought off of that idea, that, that unbiblical idea that the body is bad. It created two different streams of thoughts. The antinomians... Uh, that, that, that said, hey, do whatever you want with your body because you're leaving it behind anyway. Just go for it. Do anything. Survey says, right? The other stream is uh, the ascetics. And the ascetics said, hey, the body is bad. Don't do anything. Don't let your body enjoy anything that would be considered pleasurable or enjoyable. If it's enjoyable, it must be bad. If it's pleasurable, oh, it can't be right. Don't do anything that would be pleasurable for you. That would be the ascetic stream of thought. By the way, we do need to deny our flesh anything that God considers sinful. Can, can, I, just, can I just get an amen? It, there still is a, a place where we understand God's holiness and God says, don't do this in your life. Don't bring this into your life. Don't, don't practice this in your life. God has these standards and expectations. So there's a place for this. But the ascetics, ascetics, you'll say that out loud with me. The ascetics. They were saying, 
anything, if you do anything with your flesh that, that you enjoy, well, that's got to be bad, so, so you shouldn't do anything. That was the context of how Paul is trying to respond and help them understand, no, that's, that's not correct. And so he's addressed it about, you know, marriage, being sexually active, and two through five, and all the need for that, and all that kind of stuff. But then now, here in, uh, in verse 25, as he starts out, we're going to get into this, he says, now concerning virgins. So Paul's not just pulling stuff out of thin air. Do you understand? He's responding to a question that they had. Clearly they had a question about, about virgins, about uh, unmarried women. Is contextually, is really what he's talking about. And then Paul says another one of these weird statements, and I explained this more deeply last week, but then he follows it up in the latter part of verse 25 by saying, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who, by the mercy of the Lord, is trustworthy. And I explained last week that, that what Paul is saying is that while Jesus was here on earth, he did not directly address what Paul is about to address. He, I have no command of the Lord. I can't, I can't tell you turn to chapter and verse, da, 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 or Jesus said, da, da, da. I can't do that because Jesus didn't directly address this while he was here on earth. But because the Corinthians had raised the question, Paul is, is uh, dealing with it. And so he gives an opinion, but here's what I want you to understand. It's opinion based not on personal bias, but based on spiritual uh, uh, enlightenment. In other words, Paul is writing exactly what God intends for him to write on this subject concerning virgins or your unmarried daughters. It's where he's going. All right, so like I said, I'm going to break it down into five kind of bite-sized chunks. It might be kind of big bites, but uh, we're going to try and get through this as best we can. Here, here's how it starts out. Here's what I've got this morning. And it is a peaceful, what I'm calling a peaceful suggestion. Paul gives a peaceful suggestion. Let me uh, read it to you in verse 26 through uh, 28, uh, Paul says, I think then that this is good in view of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life. And I'm trying to spare you. <laughs> Thank you for that honesty there, brother. Uh, so, here we go. Paul's mo- moving, he's moving to a conclusion, but he's wrapping back around to some of the stuff that he's talked about all along. And he's, he's, he's bringing back up that idea of contentment that we looked at last week. And he's saying, basically... Stay, stay where you are. Stay, stay where you are. Are you married? Stay married. Are you single? Stay single if you're able to uh, in whatever station you are. And then he brings in this idea of, of virgins and, and this question that the Corinthians apparently had about their virgin daughters and what ought to be going on. And this whole, it had to do with this, this Gnosticism and the idea that the flesh is bad and should we even be letting our daughters even think about getting married? Is this a wrong thing? Should we, should we make them be virgins unmarried uh, uh, for, for all of their lives? And whatever all the, however all the question came out, Paul is trying to address that. And Paul makes clear in here that, 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 that your, your, your aim is to be content in the circumstance and situation that you are. And listen, this is, he, he's made this clear that, that this gift of singleness is not a gift that everybody has, right? 
Again, you can go back and listen to that. But he's made it clear that some people, including him, had this gift of singleness. They didn't, have a, didn't feel a need to be uh, intimate with, with the opposite sex uh, in that way. They were just okay with that. When, he, when we covered it a couple weeks ago, he didn't really get into why it was better to be that way. He said it was better to be that way. He didn't really get into why. So now today he's going to get into why. But what he does say is that, hey, if you don't have that gift, that's okay. And so there in the latter part of verse 28, he clearly says... If a virgin marries, she has not sinned. So he, he's spelling it out. He says, listen, no, whatever you've been told or whatever you thought or whatever, uh, it's not a sin for a, a, a woman to marry. That's, that's, not a, that's not a sin. And then he adds this. Yet, such will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. Now remember, he has the gift of singleness. We'll, he'll, he'll explain this a little more. I'm going to ask you a question this morning. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm not trying to drag up any old wounds or create any new ones. But if you're married or if you have been married, if you think back over the course of your life, what would you say some of the greatest hurts, pains, aggravations, agitations, anger, some of the greatest uh, points in your life have they come from? Not everybody, not everybody, but many people would say, in marriage, in my marriage, in my marriage. And listen, again, I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm just telling you, I've, I've, in years of pastoral ministry, I've done enough marital counseling to know that marriage itself, two people bound together, because some of you have heard me say this. I've said this for years. Two imperfect people living under the same roof is a formula for disaster if God is not in it. And even then, it can still be tough. Right? And so uh, that's the reality uh, uh, of it. It, it. I've done enough counseling to know that sometimes some of the greatest hurts, some of the greatest pain, some of the greatest anger and aggravation and agitation have come about as a result of a marital relationship. Now, marriage can and should be wonderful, fulfilling, rewarding, and all of those things, but it can also be tough. It can also be difficult. It can also be a trial. And all Paul is saying as he's building this case for the singleness, all he's saying is, I'm simply trying to spare you from some of that. So if you have this gift, and we'll, we'll get to that further on again. If you have this gift, I'm just trying to help you understand. Because singleness was not the, was not the norm. It's much more the norm in our society today, although still, most people want to be married. But many people live single or cohabitate or whatever without marrying. Virtually everybody married in the ancient world. And so this would have been a strange thing. But Paul says, hey, I, I'm, I'm just trying to spare you. That, that, that's his concern. Okay, here's the second one this morning. Uh, mindful prohibition. Uh, let's read it. Verse 29 to 31. Y'all, y'all still here? You with me? Taking a second bite. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none. And those who weep as though they did not weep. And those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it for or because. And this is kind of, this is kind of an encapsulating statement for all of what he's just said there in those verses. For the form of this world is passing away. For the form of this world is passing away. 
Now, it's interesting that uh, you, you wouldn't necessarily pick up on this, just, just reading it in an English translation, but there's an interesting little thing that happens here in the Greek. And I know y'all are all dying to hear it, right? <laughs> I am the only Greek geek I know. I get carried away with this. But, but in this case, it's really, it's really important. Uh, there's several places in 1 Corinthians 7 where Paul says, I say. He says in verse 6, he says in verse 12, he says it uh, here in, in verse 29, and he says it again in verse 35. In 6, in 12, uh, and uh, maybe one other place, and then again in 35, when he says, I say, he uses the very common uh, Greek verb, lego, which means, I say. Very common usage. But here in verse 29, Paul changes the verb to femi. Now, femi, guess what it means? It means I say. As a matter of fact, there is very little to any difference between the meanings of lego and femi. They mean virtually the same thing, I say. But here's here's the thing you have to know. In Greek, a sudden change in a verb usage can be an indication of an emphasis on this particular point that is being made. And that's exactly what's happening here. Paul is basically saying, all, this other stuff, all these other stuff that I say, all focuses on this one point. And here it is, here it is. All this stuff is passing away. All this stuff is going away. Oh, marriage, singleness, uh, are you rich, are you poor, have you got this, have you got that, you got status, you got this in life. I'm just telling you, here, here it all comes down to this, folks. All of this is passing away. And so, the prohibition is simply this. This is the way I would put it, ladies and gentlemen. It looks like this. Don't live your life like this life is the priority of your life. Don't live your life. Listen, the, the greatest counsel I could ever give you is that right there. Don't live your life like this life is what really matters for life because it doesn't, because it's passing away. The riches, the, the non-riches, the bills, uh, the, the sickness, the, the, the frustrations, the marriages, the single status, the... Uh, the work situations, the, all this stuff. Paul says, it's all going away. And so that's not, you understand what he's saying? Where's your focus in life? What's the focus going to be about? That's really what he's driving at here. And says, all the others, I say, I say, this is what matters. By the way, when Paul talks about those who are married should act as if they're not married, is that what he said? What he said, those who are married as though they were not, those who mourn as though they not. He, he's obviously he's not saying that you should abandon your spouse or you know you should live like you're single or you should be sexually abstinent, like the ascetics were teaching. He'd already covered that in, in two through five. He's simply saying that all of that, all the stuff, not just the you know, all of that stuff. Really, when it comes down to it, is not really what matters. What really matters is our relationship with God and what that, how that relationship plays out in our lives. What, how does it really impact our life? Where, what, see the difference between seeing and focusing. By the way, when uh, when Paul says uh, the time has been shortened, he doesn't he doesn't mean that the end is about to come. Paul, Paul didn't didn't mis, misjudge the return of the Lord. He's not saying, oh, it's about to happen. It's not, that's not what he says. Uh, the, it comes from the root uh, word sustello. It, it, time has been shortened. It comes from, 
the root word sustelo, stelo meaning to send and soon uh, together. So what he's saying is that in God's timing, he has, he has sent together or brought together all the events that would need to transpire so that the, so that the return of the Lord can come. That, that God's working all this together, he's bringing everything together so that all of this can happen exactly in God's timing for our lives. So the point is, again, is so focus on what matters. And just to remind you, again, I've said this a couple different times during the series, Paul's not just picking on the Corinthians. This is what he talked about, this is what he wrote about to all of the churches. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, seek, keep seeking the things above. Oh, but, but, my, but my job, but my, my paycheck, but my... Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind... On things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, his return, then you also will be real, revealed with him in glory. In other words, man, you, you, can, you can spend your time focused on this. And I know the stuff we got to do, right? We've we got to work our job. We've got to take our kids to ball games. We gotta, all the stuff's fine. That's good. But what he's saying is there's an overarching principle, and that is that, that, our, that our focus needs to be on the kingdom of God and eternity that is to come. There used to be an old saying, and uh, since I'm old, I can say it. There used to be an old saying, and maybe some of you have heard it. Oh, that person is so uh, heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. Have you ever heard that saying? It's an old saying. That person is so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. First off, do you know who says that statement? The people that are never heavenly-minded. The people that never think about heaven. And second... I've never met that guy. I've never met the woman that was so heavenly minded that she was no earthly good. As a matter of fact, I have found exactly the opposite to be true. I have found that the people who are the most heavenly minded are also the most earthly good. That's what I've found. And that's why Paul keeps drilling home this idea. This is where your focus is. Focus on God, not on this circumstance, not on this situation, not on whether marriage is good or marriage is bad or singleness you want it or you don't want it or, or this is happening or that's happening. All that's part of life. Yes, you go through that and God has ways of equipping you and, and handling and moving through all that stuff, but the focus, you see that other stuff, you have to deal with it, but the focus is something greater. Okay, real quickly, let's, uh, let's go on to the, to the uh, third one. It's a careful admonition. He makes a careful admonition. Here we go. Singles, <laughs> if you happen to be one. Careful admits, verse 32. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried, one who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say to you for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Oh, man. Here we go. Now Paul is getting to the heart of what he what he brought up way back in the chapter when he first said, hey, it's better to, to be single if you can. Better. Now, if you got to marry, okay. If you need to marry, you want to marry, you want to be married, that's fine. He's made that clear, but, but it's better uh, to be single. Now we're getting around to the heart or the reason to why. 
He already said, I'm trying to spare you some of just the stuff that, that happens and you have to go through in marriage. And now he gets down to some of the specifics about the difference between being single and being married. And what does he say? The big difference, what it comes down to. Being single means you, you simply have more time, effort, energy, resources to devote to the, to the Lord, to the kingdom work. You're just, you're just naturally going to have more time because if you're married, you're concerned, you better be concerned about your spouse's needs, their, their wants, their desires, their, their, all the stuff. That just, and he's made it clear, you, you better do right by them. So he's saying, man, if you happen to have this gift of singleness like I have, I'm just telling you that that's that much more of you that you can give to the Lord. That's why he says it's better. But it's, it's, it's just, remember, the, this call to singleness is a suggestion. It's not a command. It's not a command because not everyone has the gift of singleness. And so that's why this, he's gently saying this to us. And he says, I'm saying this to you for your own good. I'm saying this for your own good, not to put a restraint upon you. In other words, hey, listen, I'm not trying to keep you down. I'm not trying to keep you from getting married. If you want to get married, get married. But I'm just telling you, if you happen to be able to live single, I'm just saying you're going to be able to have even do even more for the kingdom of God. And for Paul, here's what I'm saying. For Paul, that was enough. That, that, that was enough to be worth it for him to remain single. Okay? So here's where he's, here, there, that's, that's what he says about that. Now, watch this real quickly. Let's look at this beautiful determination because this is going to get strange. But if any man thinks he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, if she is past her youth and it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let her marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will and has decided this in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. So then, both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. What in the world is that? Uh, it's curious how many, how many uh, men in here have daughters. A few of y'all? Okay, I'm just, I, I'm not putting you on the spot. I'm not going to ask you to, I'm just, I'm just curious. A couple things to point out here. One is uh, the word uh, daughter uh, in the text is not in the original text. You need to understand that. Uh, most, translations, most translations insert it, and I think rightfully so. Uh, they insert it for clarification. They'll usually, if they're honest, they'll put it in italics, showing you that, hey, this was not in the original text, but this is the intended meaning. Uh, and there's some debate over this, but, but the context, in my opinion, seems to clearly show that that's exactly, he's got to be talking about daughters, of believers in the church in Corinth and this question of Gnosticism and whether they, sex is good or not good and whether they should even let their daughters get married and all that kind of stuff. Remember, he brought it now concerning virgins. Remember, he'd already brought that up. I uh, also need to say this, the word uh, unbecomingly, you see there in, in the verse, the, the word unbecomingly or unseemly, some translation might translate it unseemly. It usually carries the idea of a moral impropriety uh, immoral, some type of immoral behavior. But in this case, it, it simply has to be uh, something like not doing right by her or treating her unfairly. That, that has to be, given the context, uh, if he's talking about daughters, that, that has to be what he's saying. And so the question would then be, 
Well, how would a man be treating his virgin, his unmarried daughter, she's not yet married, how would he be treating her unfairly or uh, unbecomingly? What would be a scenario where where he would do that? Why, Why is Paul writing that? And the reason would be, based on what Paul says, the reason... Uh, that, that, he, that he might be treating her unfairly or not doing right by her is if he insisted on her not marrying. Remember, that was, that was the thing with the Gnostics. Hey, don't know, the body, mm, no, can't do that. And, and if they were following that, they would be treating their daughters unfairly if they basically said, no, you can never marry, I'm not letting you marry. By the way, some people have tried to say that's what this text is saying. It's saying exactly the opposite of that. It truly is saying exactly the opposite of that. So uh, a father would be treating his, his, his daughter unfairly if he, if he made her remain a virgin. If he said, I'm never going to let you marry, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're, that's just it. You're not doing it. That would be unfairly. So Paul says, if, if, you, if you feel that way, if you're in that situation, if she wants to get married, brother, let her get married. Why? Because not everybody has the gift of singleness. Don't, don't, why, why would you deprive your daughter of, of the joy? Yes, trials, troubles, all that stuff, but the joy of marriage. Why would you deprive yourself of grandkids? Woohoo! Why would you deprive yourself of grandkids? Hey, man, if, if she wants to marry, it, you, you've not sinned, let her marry. Okay, right? So that, you can see that. That makes sense, right? Okay. But, but what, about this, what about this other part? What about this other part in, uh, in verse 37? But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will, and has decided this in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. What's that all about? What, what is that all about? First, I want you to note the description that, that Paul gives here. Notice some of the, some of the word, wording that he uses. His heart, talking about the, the, the father, his heart, no constraint, his own will, his own heart. In other words, this, this is a decision that he is making. He's not, comp- he's not being pressured to make this decision. He's, not, uh, he, he's making this decision of his, of his own free will. Okay? Here's the second thing. I said, and I've, throughout this, you've seen it, there's practices that were culturally prevalent then that are not culturally prevalent now. One of the practices in that culture then was that a father had authority and responsibility for who his daughter married. And most marriages were prearranged. We don't see that in our culture today. There are, by the way, there are cultures in the world where that is still practiced. We wouldn't see it in our culture, but you do still see even, even a little vestige of that left over in our culture, when, when, if it's done right, when a young man goes to his, his future wife's father and asks his permission for her hand in marriage, right? So you can see a little bit of it left over in this culture, but it's not a practice. But it was a practice back then. The father had the responsibility and the authority in who his daughter married, and we can say, well, that, that's outrageous. A woman ought to have the right to marry whoever she wants. Okay, all right. But could we perhaps just acknowledge that it's at least possible that a man who has a daughter, who loves this daughter, who's devoted to this daughter, who, who is compassionate about his daughter, who wants the very best for his daughter, and all things, a man in here who has daughters that would say any different wants the very best for his daughter, is it just possible that he might be able to judge the character, the morality, the work ethic, the, the whatever of a potential husband a little bit better than a 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old starry-eyed teenage girl who's 
in love? All I'm saying is, this is not about male dominance. This is about a father's love and compassion and desire for the best for his daughter. That's what this is about. So he's already said, if, you, if, if your daughter wants to marry, sure, go for that. It, it, let, let her marry. That's not, you're not wrong. You haven't sinned. If she wants to marry, let her marry. But what if someone's daughter does have the gift of singleness? Because Paul clearly indicates earlier in this chapter that some people have it. Not many people have it. Some people have the gift of singleness. What if your daughter has the gift of singleness? What if she says, you know, I, I'm, I'm fine with guys, like hang out with guys, but, but I don't have a desire uh, to be uh, with a man in marriage and matrimony I, I, and, and to, you know, be intimate in that way. I, I love, you know, having fun and doing all stuff, but I, I just, just not, I don't have that. I think God has called me to a life of singleness. There are, it's rare, but there are people that have that. What if somebody does have that and she wants to remain single? Well, uh, no problem. She can just stay single the rest of her life. Not so fast, my postmodern thinking friend. In those days, a woman can't just go out and get a degree and climb the corporate ladder and make a good living for herself. A woman can't just go out and get a job and pay the rent on her apartment and, 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 uh, and take care of herself. Those opportunities simply did not exist in the ancient world. They simply didn't exist. This is a big deal, what Paul is saying here. Because what he's saying is, hey, dads, if you've decided this in your own heart, of your own free will, that you want to do this, because here's the deal. If she doesn't marry, who's responsible for the rest of his life? The dad is. The dad is responsible the rest of his life to, to provide a home for her, to provide food, to provide clothing, to provide shelter. He's got that responsibility for the rest of his life. And, bonus, when a woman got married, the father almost always received a dowry, a payment for his daughter that, that this, from the man that she was marrying. A not so insignificant amount most times. So he's not only giving up a significant amount of money, he's taking on the financial responsibility of taking care of his daughter for as long as he has to. Bless you. Do you see? That's why then, that's why he says in verse 38, so then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well. That's fine, that's okay. If they want to marry, let them marry. That's not a sin. And he who does not give her in marriage will do better. It's better because it's sacrificial, ladies and gentlemen. That's why. Because it's sacrificial. And right there, you have the, the crux of the, of the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. To put others before yourself. To think of others as more important than yourself. To take care of the needs of others before you take care of yourself. And that's exactly what this dad is doing. And that's exactly why Paul says it's better. Because it's even a better display of what a follower of Christ Done. No, pro no problem, Mary. No problem with your, your spouse. If your daughter wants to get married, that's fine too. But if she wants to remain single and you're willing of your own heart, your own will, you've made this decision to take on this responsibility, there's a sense that you're doing even better. Okay, does that help kind of clear that up? That whole, what is that all about? It's actually, it's a beautiful picture of a man determining to put his daughter's needs ahead of his own. Okay, and then one more real quickly, and I'll just cover this very quickly, a helpful repetition. One, one more small, this is not a bigger bite, it's a small bite, smaller bite, a helpful repetition. But it's an important bite. 
ladies. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives. But if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I also have the Spirit of God. In other words, he's saying, I, I'm writing this under the Spirit of, of God. But there's that repetition one more time. I still think you're going to be better. I still think you're going to be better off. The kingdom's going to advance more if you can remain single. But a wife is bound as long as her husband lives. But if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes. Now, ladies, now, ladies, this does not, like James Bond, give you a license to kill. I have no doubt there are times when you would like to kill us. And we probably deserve it. But, again, he's simply saying he's, he's dealt with virgins, and now he's dealing with a widow. If, if you have to find yourself as a widow, it's okay. You, you, it's not wrong. If you, the time should come, you desire to, to remarry, that's not, that's not wrong. Nothing wrong with doing that. But I, I still think you're better off if you just stay single. I still think you'll be happier if you're single. That's what he says. He says that in there one more time. Uh, this idea of the, of the, the, the benefit, if, if we can put it that way, of being single, if you have that gift of being single. All right, that's a lot. That's a lot to be said. All right, let me say this. Focus. That's the crux of, of where this whole thing is winding up. I haven't told, talked about it in a few years, but, uh, but some of you may remember me telling the story about... Uh, Christian psychologist, Christian author, uh, James Dobson. Dr. Dobson grew up in a Christian home. Uh, one side of his, his family, grandparents, were both believers. The other side of his family, uh, his grandmother was a believer. His grandfather was not a believer. He was a good man, hardworking farmer, uh, but he wasn't a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, his, his, his wife, Dr. Dobson's grandmother, would get up, would faithfully go to church every Sunday, would take her kids to church. He didn't care. He didn't mind that. He just didn't go. It wasn't his deal. He wasn't, he wasn't into it. He'd heard the gospel a number of times. It just, he just wasn't interested. Dr. Dobson's grandfather got sick. Developed, I believe, it's some, sort of, some sort of cancer. He was dying. His, his wife asked the pastor, her pastor, to come and visit her husband again, as he had done on several occasions. And as he was laying in bed, literally on his deathbed, uh, the pastor shared the gospel again with Dr. Dobson's grandfather. And there's an old saying, there are no atheists in foxholes. Uh, the Spirit of God was able to penetrate the hardness of his heart that had rejected the gospel for all of his life. He softened to the gospel. He, 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 he knew his need of salvation. He accepted Christ as his personal Savior uh, on his deathbed. And, and the family was rejoicing and they were, they were very happy. And it was either uh, the next night or two nights later, I haven't heard the story in years, but uh, one or two nights later, uh, Dr. Dobson's grandmother hears her grandfather in the bed. He's, he's bedridden at that time, in the bed, and she can hear him loudly sobbing, crying. And he was not a man that cried. She had never heard him cry before. And she thought, he, he, he must be in tremendous pain. And so she went into him, and, and she, she knelt over him, and she said, Honey, what's, what's wrong? And as, as she told it to Dr. Dobson, as, as he looked up, his tears streaming down his face, he said, I've wasted it. I've wasted it. My whole life, I could have been living for God. I could have been living for the kingdom of God and for what will matter into eternity, and I've wasted it. It's a difference between seeing and focusing. Focus, ladies and gentlemen, on what really matters. 
Stay focused on what really matters. Or, as Jesus would put it in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he'll give you everything you need. Married, single, food, clothing, shelter, a job. You seek first the kingdom of God. There's our focus. Even though much of what Paul discussed in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 isn't culturally prevalent for us today, the biblical principles are still just as true today as they were back when first written. Between relational struggles, busy schedules, worldly distractions, and other things, it's easy to lose our focus. But as we heard today, we need to stay focused on what really matters. And what really matters for followers of Jesus is honoring Him with our lives. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere to celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross Culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about a relationship, a community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person, real people who truly care, solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens and the most energetic, fun, and safe kids program around. Find out more at crossculture.church. Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.